believe in God moments, do you? The problem is that some people think only God, God moments only happen to preachers. Well, I, I don't think that's true. In fact, I know it's not true. But I'm going to tell you what, when a God moment happens to you, you really start to watch for the next one. Amen? So this week, some, some God moments took place. So uh, I was at the show this week, and um, they were doing these hat things, giving away these hats. And this one guy come up, and I give him these tickets to be able to go get these two hats embroidered. And he says, I don't, I don't need these hats. He goes, so I'm going to will them back to you. What does that mean? So I put the tickets in my pocket thinking, what does that mean? I'm just totally confused. Then God brought to mind that I had received a message earlier last week from a gentleman in Ohio that was a farmer retired after 30 years. He connects with us on Sunday morning. He connects with us during the week on our online morning scripture and prayer. And he said, Mark, I would love to have a hat. All of a sudden, it, it rang a bell. I had hats wheeled back to me. Not that I couldn't have gotten a hat to give to him. But that was the purpose, I believe. And so come tomorrow morning, I'm going to the post office. And those hats are going into a bag. And they're being shipped to Ohio because I think it was a God moment. Also this week, as you know, our homecoming is going to be at the Tipton County 4-H building because we just felt that's usually a really big Sunday. For precaution's sake, we wanted to spread people out, but we didn't want to deter anybody from coming. Plus, we have a great meal afterwards, and that's a great facility to have worship in front, a meal in back, and everything else in between. And so thank goodness to Janet and some other people that have been working on the worship fellowship team. They got it all arranged. Now, these are two events happening at two separate times, and nobody knows about either one. So all of a sudden, they had a, a meeting to know how much we would need to pay the, 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 fair, the 4-H fair board. And they had come up with a number, which I didn't know. I don't need to know. But at Monday morning, Pam says, hey, did you, did you find the envelope on your desk? And I said, well, no. And so I went in and opened it up. And there was a donation from somebody outside the church that had written a letter of thanks because we had taken them food just because. I looked at the check. I remembered the amount that I was told that we had reached with the 4-H fairgrounds. They were penny for penny. That's not happenstance, folks. That's God. That's God moving. I know when I reached Effingham, Illinois this week, I didn't put two and two together. I went right to the hotel Monday or Tuesday night because I was tired. So I went to bed, got up. I had never been to the facility. And so I got up early, getting ready to get over there, just waiting for God to do what he wanted to do that day. And all of a sudden, as I came over the interstate, there was that big three-story, four-story, whatever it is, white cross that sits along Interstate 70 in Effingham, Illinois. Let me tell you what, God got my attention pretty quick. As I pulled across, it's like, okay, Lord, I hear you. Not only was it incredible, but at the base of that cross was basically where we were going to be all day for these field shows. As I scrambled for morning scripture and prayer, I thought, hey, Lord, I, you spoke, you screamed at me. I'm going to make sure that's in the background. So I'm just trying to get over there to, to get that cross in the background of morning scripture and prayer. Why? Because I believe God speaks to us in multiple ways. And we have counted him so short, and we box him up so much to fit just in this building, or just in that pew, or just at this pulpit. 
But I'm here to tell you, he's God. He's big. He's all over, in all, and just everywhere. Amen? He was at McDonald's with us yesterday. At the first one, Keith and Nancy were following us. I was thinking, I'm going to cut the line, and I'm just going to go in and get our drink after we packed meals. So I march up there and almost rip my arm off, find out the door's locked. The only way to get a drink was through the drive-up, which Keith and Nancy now took our place. So it was either go or get in the car and go all the way around and get in line again after five more got behind them, or we thought we would just be smart. We'd go some other McDonald's. So we did, drove on down the way. Not a smart idea. Because at Grand Park, McDonald's close to Grand Park is not a good thing. But praise God, hallelujah, there was only two cars in front of us. We pulled in, got our drink, and we was out of there in no time. God is everywhere. Do you believe it? Now, you say it in church, but do you believe it? Do you believe it on Monday morning and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday? Do you look for what God wants to do in your life? This week, something else happened too. And I don't normally do this, but... One of, our, one of ours, Gary, in fact, one of our deacons, had posted something, reposted something, I believe. At first I thought, wow, he wrote this. This is pretty cool. Then I read all the way through it, and I realized he had reposted something. And it was just spot on. And so I quickly hit the button and reposted again. I normally don't do that, but I did. And there were many responses that came from that. And you know, in the old days, or not so long ago, there was a phrase and it was this, and I'm just going to say it as it is, and then I'll tell you how we, Terry and I, taught through our kids with this phrase, kind of. There was a phrase that went something like this, either put up or shut up. Now, my little asterisk at the bottom, if there's any little kids here, don't say shut up. That's what we used to tell our boys, don't say shut up. Well, what do we say? Say be quiet. So we taught them the best we could, that shut up was not what we used. But I have to say it this morning because it puts the emphasis where it needs to be. Put up or shut up. And as I read what Gary had posted and I had reposted it myself, I thought, Mark, are you ready to put up with what you just posted? If not, then you need to shut up, Mark. So this morning, hang with me as I put up. I'm going to read to you first the posting. And I have typed out, which I normally don't do, uh, the scripture verses, because there are so many, I just knew we'd be here four hours just by me flipping back and forth in the Bible. So I'm telling you right now, take your hands like this and go like this. Put your seatbelt on, because we're going to go, because I believe I want to put up. In case anyone wonders where I'm standing, the seven-year tribulation will be much worse than anyone can imagine. If you think this is our latest natural or pandemic disaster, you're very wrong. Read the book of Revelation. As a Christian, I feel that the book of Revelation is unfolding before us. Nor should it be shocking given the state of immorality in our world. Every day, the limits of sin seem to be pushed more and more. The line between right and wrong has been slowly blurred by society, television, and culture. Witchcraft, spiritualism, new age belief systems are being celebrated and exalted. We have moved further away from the world that God created and intended. We need to take this time to reevaluate ourselves. We need to prepare and repent. Jesus will return as his word tells us. This is a fantastic wake-up call, and I'm taking it very seriously. 
I want to go home to my father when I run out of time. Until the Lord calls me from this world to the next, I want to make it clear that I believe in Jesus Christ as the true Lord and Savior. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He was sacrificed on the cross, died for our sins, and he was resurrected. He loves us all much more than we deserve and forgives our sins if we repent. His word says, He who believes in me shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. This is the best challenge I've ever seen on Facebook, so if the Holy Ghost moves you and you're not embarrassed, just copy and make this your status update. Can I obtain an amen by being a believer in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? Amen. I didn't write it. I'd sure like to know who did, because they were spot on. Tribulation, affliction in general, an extended time of suffering or persecution, specifically the Great Tribulation, a period of seven years of catastrophic divine judgments preceding the second coming of Christ. Rapture, not a biblical term. Rapture, seizing and carrying off, a theological, a theological term not found in the Bible. It refers to the future coming of the Lord to take believers, both those who are alive and the dead, who will be the first resurrection, by the way, from the earth to be with him forever. There are different views of the timing and circumstances of the rapture, but it is expected to occur immediately before, during, or after the end of the Great Tribulation. Now, whether you're pre-tribulation, post-tribulation, over-tribulation, under-tribulation, whatever you are or believe you are, no matter what you believe, believe this for sure. Jesus is coming again. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 and 18, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. What? Comfort one another with these words? Tribulation and rapture and divine judgments. Hang on to that. Revelation chapter 22, verse 7. Jesus speaking says, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. Verse 12 and 13 of the same chapter of Revelation, Jesus speaking still, says, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Continuing on in verse 14, John speaking now, Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter by the gates into the city. Verse 20 says, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. I believe we are in the midst of the book of Revelation, specifically where I do not know and nor does anyone. Let's accept that, folks. Let that not be the stumbling block or that the place we put all of our emphasis or our energy. But rather, Acts 1-7 says, 
He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, by the day of the, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. I believe in the word of God. I believe that what the word says is going to happen. Can I fathom it fully? No, I can't because it's well beyond. But I'm going to tell you, it's bad. It's real bad. For sure. We are one day closer, as I say, and you've heard me say many, many times. It's my only answer to this question when they say, hey, Mark, when's it going to happen? How close are we? The only answer I've come up with that I think I'm safe with is all I know is this. We're one day closer today than we were yesterday, and I leave it at that. I'll leave it to the theologians to try to figure anything else out, but I think it's kind of silly. Don't you? Now, I'm not demeaning their degrees and their... their, uh, their energy about wanting to figure out closer when the day is. But when the Bible says you won't know, are we not believing in God by trying to figure it out? So I'm encouraging you, don't try to figure it out. Just say we're one day closer. It works. Matthew 24, verse 3 says this. The disciples inquired of Jesus, tell us when when will these things happen? So the disciples were inquisitive too. And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered and said to them, See to it that no one misleads you. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and will mislead many. You will be hearing of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not frightened, for those things must take place. But that is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And in various places there will be famines and earthquakes. But all these things are merely the beginning of birth pangs. Then they will deliver you to tribulation and will kill you and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. At that time many will fall away and will betray one another and hate one another. Many false prophets will arise and will mislead many. Because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. This gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the world, in the whole world, as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. The line between right from wrong, as it said in this posting, has become terribly blurred. 2 Timothy 4, chapter 3 says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires, and will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside myths. We have been warned that good will be made to be out to be evil. And evil will be made good. Look around. What? 
Why? But what do we do? What do we do? It's more than a sermon on Sunday morning. Because believing in Jesus is more than just something we say. God desires a relationship. And relationships require time and effort on both parties' part. It is no different. John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2 said what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is not a new sermon. This is not a new message. This is an old message just revived and spoken by a different person maybe. The same message that was delivered by John the Baptist and many between then and now is the same. We must repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Acts 2 verse 37 plus says this, those who heard Peter preach the word were pierced to the heart. Why were they pierced to the heart? Because Peter preached the word. Not because it was Peter, it could have been anybody, but because the word of God was preached. It's the word of God that has the power to change people from where they are to where they need to be. And that power of God's word will change anyone and can change anyone and has changed anyone. No matter how we evaluate where they are or who they are or what they've accomplished or what they haven't accomplished, let me tell you what, maybe we can't change things, but the power of the word of God changes things. And that's what he knew. Peter preached the word. They were pierced to their heart. They asked after hearing, after their hearts were pierced, what shall we do? Peter responded, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Peter went on to say, be saved from this perverse generation. Peter could, we could just, if God would allow it, we could just resurrect Peter right here this morning. Now that would be an event, wouldn't it? I'm not sure what Peter looked like. Anybody, anybody seen a picture of Peter? We have all these pictures of what we think Jesus looked like. But anyway, let's get back to it. Peter would be resurrected right here. He could preach exactly the same sermon because it would be pertinent, as pertinent, if not more pertinent, to today for us. And what does he tell us? We need to repent. We need to come to Jesus. Now, somebody would go, Mark, come on, you're preaching in church. We're already there. Are we? Are you? Matthew chapter 10, verse 32 and 33 says, Jesus' words, or these are Jesus' words, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. We must come to Jesus. Once we come, we must confess Jesus by our words and mouths and by the way we live our lives. We cannot sit on the fence. The world doesn't know Jesus now because the church hasn't risen to do what God has called us to do in His Word. Because Sunday morning attendance is important and it's a celebration and it's an awesome, awesome thing. But 
six other days of the week, our lives need to reflect the Jesus that we profess with our mouths. If we had been living and leading by the way we live our lives, the world would be a different place today. Now, I'm not saying that the end isn't still going to happen because the book has been written, yes? We're just part of the story. What's in the Bible is going to happen. So we would not have thwarted that plan at all. We know who has the victory. We know who has won over sin and death. Praise God, we know that. That's where the comfort that was spoken of earlier comes in. But I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, family members, and everybody else, we have, to, we have to now live that which we have spoken. And to do that is not going to be comfortable. To do that is, means we have to make changes in our lives. It means that we can't have reached a plateau and said, I've served God, I'm now just waiting until I transition from this life to the next. As long as we have breath, regardless of our age, regardless of any other thing about us, as long as we have breath, we are and will be and can be and used by God. So some might say, well, what do I do, Mark? My body's given out on me. I, I'm not able to, to go do this or that. Pray about it. God will divulge to you your ministry until you have no more breath. And then he'll say to you, welcome, welcome into the kingdom of heaven. But until then, we have to understand, the church has to understand, we have to rise up and be willing to be what God needs us to be right now. He doesn't need us, but we are the tools and the instruments for him to use so that the world can come to know Jesus as these latter parts of the days play out. The church, we have to be willing to do that. Matthew 7, verse 21 and 23 says, Jesus' words again, he, here he says, not everyone, now listen closely. This should step on our toes. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. I want you to, I want you to remember the word, not everyone who says. Not everyone who says. To me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Listen to the next part. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them. Now think about this. These folks say they prophesied, they cast out demons, and they perform miracles. That's pretty big stuff, folks. Here was the answer. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The churches today are filled with people who say they are a follower or a believer or a Christian. My question is, are we fulfilling the second part of this scripture in Matthew chapter 7? But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. It's not just say it, it's say it and do it. And behind saying it and doing it is, a, is faith and belief and trust and hope. We're going to get dirty in the coming days, folks. It ain't going to be pretty. Not everyone who says, but he who does. Salvation is more than words. It is a movement of faith within our hearts that draws us to action.
no matter who we are, no matter where we are, no matter age or anything else. It is a movement of faith within our hearts that draws us to action. We are not saved by works, as James tells us, but by golly, a true faith in God, a true faith in Jesus Christ will result in works of faith. I'm sweating. So let there be no misunderstanding. I come just as I am. And I stand with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I stand on the truth of God's Word and believe it to be absolute truth. I deserve hell. I deserve hell. But by the grace of God, through Jesus, He covers me and claims me to be one of His. What about you? Where do you stand? If asked, if asked, if you were asked where you stand, would anyone else know?